This week's episode is brought to you by the Film Rescue Show. The Film Rescue Show is a long-form podcast in which their crew and a guest fix a film every week. Want a good first episode? Check out episode 89 with Axel and myself, where he pitched fixes for the League of Extraordinary Drummond. Still waiting on that call, Warner Brothers. For fans of filmmaking, writing, and behind-the-scenes content, check out the Film Rescue Show on all your favorite podcasting sites today. and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ork, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Oh, it's a weird day. So I had to be a little bit late to the recording because... So a while back, I mentioned that I have a bit of a mouse problem in my house. So I got two cats, but they found their way underneath my house. Oh, no. And, <laughs> and they haven't come out. And so today I went and bought a live animal trap and put it down there and one of them fell for it and then caused a big ruckus. And right as we were about to be recording, I had to go out there and bring it in and transfer the cat to a different holding thing so I could reset up the, the trap for the other cat. And it, oh, it's it's a lot. <laughs> Adventures in homeownership. Yeah. Although, sidebar, I haven't seen a mouse like mm. in a long time. So they're working. working. Yeah. I just got to get the cat to or the cats to like me now. <laughs> Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, uh, I know. Anyway, how are you? Ah, stressed, because we're in the middle of trying to set up a move in the middle of a huge housing price increase, so that's been fun. But on the upside, I've uh, been reading Bendis' run on Moon Knight, which a lot of people told me is like the best Moon Knight run ever written, so... Win some, I, some. I'm looking forward to talking with you about Moon Knight when the obvious time to do that comes. But There's never a wrong time to talk about Moon Knight, but we have a show to do. Exactly. So before we get into our show, I believe you have a thing to do. Yes, our patron sound off, the people that give us money so that we can do this week to week. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vake, Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donna Lucy, Nathan Millis, Patrick Anderson, Carson Law, and Scott Rubin. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode means we get to keep the lights on here. And today we have, I was going to say a standard episode because we we are in a weird kind of recording set right now. We do a lot of our Warhammer stuff. We do a lot of our short stuff. So it feels like we go a long time in between doing normal episodes. But it's not exactly a normal episode because we have an illustrious guest with us today. Feel free to introduce yourself. Not illustrious. Uh, hello, Geeks with Shields people. If you're newer listeners, maybe you haven't heard me here before. My name is Ashley Victoria Robinson. Uh, I'm a dilettante and a fellow podcaster. I am um, the number one people that the Geeks with Shields Patreon account likes to uh, troll about doing a <laughs> Moon Knight episode on my podcast. So when we rolled right into the Moonlight talk, I was like, this feels on brand for me. <laughs> uh, but I am an award-losing um, podcast host. I am an award-losing um comic book writer i'm also an award losing actor so like i'm good at some things but like not that good you get That's nominated okay. though so you got several up on us True. Uh, <laughs> go on <laughs> anyway then today we're here to talk about something that ulrich has dubbed the tolkien effect so I ulrich, why don't you do not want to claim ownership for this I'm not I, saying you I'm not saying you own it. I'm just saying that you told me about it. So tell us where you've heard about it and what it is. The Tolkien effect is kind of a catch-all term that covers how basically Lord of the Rings was so popular and influential, it defined fantasy as a genre in that it all copies what they did in Tolkien for good or bad. Okay. Well then in the interest of I want to say foundation because I have an obsession with structure for some reason. How about we each have a, a little, just a little diatribe about our, let's say our relationship with Tolkien, his work, maybe how it started, what we currently feel about it before we get into the effects of his work. And since I am suggesting this, I'll start very simply. And that when I was a kid, I, I read The Hobbit, probably, I don't know, I don't know, maybe fifth grade. It sounds about right. And then probably when I was about seventh grade, I tried to read Fellowship of the Ring. Again, if if anyone listening doesn't realize that Tolkien is Lord of the Rings, I, I don't know what to tell you. You you have somehow <laughs> been sheltered from society. 
So And you're listening to this podcast specifically. Yeah. I anyway, mean, point is Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings. Anyway, so I tried to read Fellowship. I couldn't do it at the time. Like I said, I was probably in seventh grade or something like that. And I couldn't stand his writing style. Don't be wrong, Tolkien created an amazing world and the guy was a genius when you start reading about his relationship with language specifically and mythology like brilliant guy but i find his writing to be extremely dry and even today i've never read the full trilogy because of how dry his writing is there are some great stories like that in my opinion i love the movies love a lot of the stuff that takes place in the world love reading about things that take place in his world just not necessarily the books themselves so that's (laughs) kind of my place so Ulrich, how about you next uh i have an older brother who loves two things with all his heart and that is sports and fantasy which was an interesting combination growing up um so at a very early age we had the back bakshi you know lord of the rings he had the books and i kind of read those growing up uh never really connected with them because they're dense and that's kind of hard to like Hobbit I read as a kid. Lord of the Rings I didn't get into till I was like around the time that the Jackson films came out. I'm like, wow, these are really good. And I picked up the books and like, wow, these are really good, but they're just not hitting the same. And ever since then, I've had like a deep respect for Tolkien and the world that he's made. And especially like the guy created like the level, the world the guy created with the lore and the languages and the whatnots. But it's one of those things, it's kind of, I describe it like quantum physics. I want to understand it, but every time I do, it just kind of passes through my brain. All right, Ashley, what about you? All right, I see. I'm going to be the crazy person here. So, um, of all the fictional things that exist, The Lord of the Rings is my favorite thing ever. For my birthday as an adult, uh, my co-host on my podcast, Geek History Lesson, Jason Inman, gave me uh, Anduril, which is Aragorn's sword, once it's reforged, and I took a picture of it and I texted it to my mom with no context, no explanation. (laughs) And she just wrote back, you must be so happy. She knew (laughs) exactly what it was and why I would want it. Um, I was introduced through the films, which I think for most people now who are under the age of maybe 50, that is a lot of people's intro into the world of Tolkien en masse. Um, I saw it not in theaters because I thought it would be scary Uh, I saw it when my family was moving over the course of a summer. So we were like house sitting for someone who was out of town while we were in between uh, the houses that we lived in, I suppose. And so we watched it and I can still remember like the feeling of my brain cracking open. And like when you engage with a piece of media, when your brain is really like squishy and childlike and you're like, wow, this was made only for me because it just like connects with you in such a primal way Mm -hmm. uh and then like i wore the ring that i took off a bookmark on a necklace until i graduated high school can you believe i had two boyfriends in high school and i had (laughs) braces and glasses so there's hope for everybody my friends (laughs) to be fair if i if i saw a a braced bespectacled girl wearing a <laughs> one ring as a necklace i would have asked her out so and, and, and full avril lavigne like like dad's necktie as well so that's a that's a, a quip of what i was like in high school but it's <laughs> i've read every tolkien thing that can be published i read the silmarillion um several times i have a basic understanding of the linguistic structures of like two of the elvish forms i currently as a quick am... side note to any <laughs> listeners because the silmarillion is is kind of becoming well known, but it's still pretty niche. The Silmarillion was basically another book That's or kind of a series of books that got put together. Anyway, it's Tolkien's like whole world building backstory, Lord of the Rings, that he put together. I and... I have tried to read that on several occasions. I love this world. I'm going to understand it and then go, no, no, I can't do this. This this is I can't. Anyway, begin to I mean, there there is a bit of it that's just vibes. Like it's it's like. I'm going to say this is someone who's never read a religious text in my entire life. It's how I imagine reading the Bible must feel because um, somebody just got really mad and like immediately unsubscribed. No, I I actually, I I agree with you. That is a great summarization of it because it's like this, this feels like a world. This feels like. And it it, it opens with like, like there was music in the beginning and it's all about the music. And then there's the first dissonant note. And that's like the first time that consciousness happens. And like, that. so I don't mean it in like a disrespectful way to. It's not a negative or a positive. It's just the 
a good way to describe how it's written. Um, so. But I'm also fully the person who will be like, if you notice that the hobbits say the word queer instead of strange, it's because Tolkien studied uh, early English and he really liked the Saxon history before the Norman invasion. And queer is a Saxon word and strange is a Norman word. So that's why the hobbits say queer instead of strange all the time. Like, I'm that person. So. Well, <laughs> like I said, uh, Tolkien was a, a actual master of language in mm-hmm. general. So like the uh, the Elvish languages that he created, the idiolects, as they're called, are the second most widely spoken idiolects in the world. After Klingon? Klingon. <laughs> yeah. Klingon is the most widely spoken idiolect. Everyone thinks it's going to be Elvish, but Elvish is number two. So. Elvish is much harder. It's based on uh, Finnish. So the sentence structure, if... If you're coming from like an Anglo, like if you're an Anglophone of English reverse language, it's much, much harder to wrap your head around. I buy that, especially because it always sounded to me like Klingon was based in very like, because I think Klingon has extremely simple syntax. So like the the actual vocabulary is kind of weird because it's supposed to be based in this like guttural, very alien kind of language. But the structure of your sentences is very straightforward because it wasn't made by, you know, degreed linguists. So... (laughs) Do you know how the original um, uh, Klingon language was created? I've heard the story, but I don't remember it offhand. So they didn't um, actually develop a language until uh, the next generation because, you know, the original series was breaking ground on a number of fronts. And um, the actor who played Montgomery Scott, and now that I want to say his name, James Dewan, there we go, my fellow mm-hmm. Canadian, uh, he did a lot of great voices, and so they said, record some Klingon sounds into this recorder, and he just kind of yelled. And then, based <laughs> off of his yell and some of the early Klingon episodes in the original series, they sort of backward-engineered uh, like a syntax and a basic set of grammar rules. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard the part about Scotty before, like, yeah. just like a bit of it, but anyway... Yes. Point is that for my, I don't know exactly what Tolkien's background was, but I know that like language was one of his part of his like profession, right? Yes, he studied um, linguistics and classics, and then taught language at Oxford. Yeah, and exactly. he and he his first ever dorm room at Oxford. Fun fact number nine is the same dorm room that uh, Philip Pullman, who wrote his materials, had when he was there yeah. for his undergrad. Oh, so cool. it's just there's a muse haunting that place, obviously. Yeah, they have the best ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, listeners, if you haven't caught on, we brought Ashley on this episode for a very specific reason. Yeah. Namely that she understands this stuff. Like, don't get me wrong. Again, like I said, I've read a lot about Tolkien and Tolkien's world and whatnot. But to me, how do I put this? Tolkien is, Lord of the Rings in general, is so foundational to stuff that I love that it feels like mm-hmm. it's so... Like, in order to be a fantasy fan, it's only natural to and appropriate to have a certain level of understanding and appreciation, whether you like the material or not. It's kind of how I feel about it. Like, there are some things like that in, in pop culture. I mean, I think I think the first thing I ended up looking into it was I, I just someone I was looking up. A, this was probably in high school. I was like, what's the biggest fictional dragon? And I found some forum where someone was like, and Calgon the Black. And I was like, who is this? And I went down a rabbit hole, which is basically a dragon in War of the Rings world that's the size mm-hmm. of, like, three mountains put together. So Who's only kind of referenced offhand and is, like, fully not, like, a huge fixture, like, smog. I will not say Smaug. I will die on that hill. Uh, <laughs> probably being the most famous of the Tolkien dragons. was Were the Earthsea dragons on that list? I would have been mad if they weren't. <laughs> Well, all I remember, because again, this was years ago. All I remember is someone. No, you're about, what, 21? Like, uh, it must have been yesterday. Uh, We're all very young here. <laughs> I'm totally not in the next decade after that. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, but I remember someone talking about like Deathwing or something, and then someone just shared a picture of Encalagon the Black standing on several mountains, and that's what stuck out in my brain. So oh, that's cool, though. That's so cool. I would have loved that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but I think we're we're already touching on the fact that like and so Oric and I are coming at this I guess more from a we we like what we know of Lord of the Rings we respect it but it's good to have you here because it sounds like you're gonna have a lot more specific knowledge than us <laughs> yeah I'm ready I'm ready to die on whatever hill needs dying on <laughs> all right well then so this is our basic kind of foundation we're talking about Lord of the Rings now Lord of the Rings came out in what twenty nineteen 32 or something like that? What was the exact year? Anyone know? 
I uh, don't know, but the internet knows. All I know is that I was recently watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, and one of the best flexes I've ever seen was the Winter Soldier being like, yeah, I read it when it first came out in 19... 1954 was when it was first published. Um, I, was hot- trying to, I was trying to Google it, the movie kept coming up. Like, no, no, not the movie, book. <laughs> was yeah, that when The Hobbit also- was first published, or...? Uh, the Hobbit would have been earlier than that because The Hobbit came out first. So if you and if you read The Hobbit, you'll notice that there is a lot of like weird tonal shifts when you get into Lord of the Rings. Um, mm-hmm. An Unexpected Party, the opening chapter of Lord of the Rings, feels very much like a continuation of The Hobbit. It's much lighter. Yep. It's jokier. Um, they ha- The Hobbits have grandfather clocks and umbrellas, which feels a little innocuous when you get into like the mythology of Gondor and like how... Uh, Ottoman inspired it is like it's very like medieval and it's very like mm-hmm. Turkish sort of in that way um, and then because The Hobbit was such a hit Lord of the Rings came later and about about the time they hit Rivendell I feel like is where you get the sense of like ah oh, this is the fantasy epic that sort of um, hyper wordy I'm gonna tell you why this tree is the most important tree you'll ever see Tolkien style <laughs> that, yeah, that no, is Definitely something I remember reading that book going, okay, this feels like the book suddenly shifted. And, oh, now the dyslexia and all those vowels. Oh, no. Oh, and, I mean, especially when the elves show up. It's, it's yeah, no, nothing, I can't read nothing about vowels. Like, oh, you this know, is like Gaelic, but worse. Yeah, you know, like, you know really? it's funny. As a, as a side note, I remember reading the Game of Thrones, the Song of Fire and Ice books. And one of the criticisms that I personally had of it, even though I enjoyed them, was that Wait, you Martin like something e- and criticize something at the same time? This is the internet. <laughs> we yeah. can't contain multitudes. <laughs> hey, I love those books, but that's because I love them that I hate when he spends literally five pages describing flags, okay? <laughs> so, and and I literally, that thought that crossed I my head. That <laughs> Yeah. What but about shields? Do you like it when we talk about when he talks about shields? When Brienne gets the shield and it's like the Dunkin' Egg shield? How cool is that? Uh, I, I I know I love heraldry. Like, oh okay, I I, can, I understand heraldry. I'm a history, but I have history. <laughs> okay, I can follow this bit. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Is I remember reading that and he okay, I'm exaggerating, but no exaggeration. It was probably you're, like you're a not solid... wrong. Like when there are the parts of like and there was so and so of how so and so and on his shield he bore the mark of so and so and he was preceded by so and so of how so and so. Right, like yeah. to evoke the Bible again. I'm just gonna get myself in more and more yeah. trouble. It's yeah. like but and first then, series. So and so begat so and so begat so and so. Yeah, the we... first series that was lauded by a lot of people as being like a break from fantasy tradition in a lot of senses and. It is in some ways. It's interesting to see this kind of thing where it's like, well, that just goes right back to how Tolkien talked about stuff, too. So. <laughs> you don't need to worry about upsetting anybody. We regularly go after Batman on this podcast. So we're beyond you're beyond. Yeah, safe. but I'm a woman. So that is oh, I'm she already, has a very strong point I'm there, I'm already Ulrich. in the hole. More Unfortunately. Than, more than the average person. Well, we can accept that that is a shitty part of yeah. fandom that we will fight against. Anyway. Uh, but also from t- from team, we uh, I hate Damian Wayne. I, I appreciate anyone who takes a good jab. Oh, boy. Damian. Uh, I don't even like fair, Batman. But, yeah. I'm also on team. I hate Damian Wayne. I'm a big Dick Grayson and Jason Todd yes. fan. So. Yes. I, I know this. About topic, does anyone like Damian Wayne? I feel like yes. that is oh, some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People who like edgy characters like Damian Wayne. <laughs> okay, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. We're talking about Lord of the Rings. We are. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, so Lord of the Rings, I completely lost where I was going with that particular train of thought. But, oh, oh, right. So yeah, it came out. So Hobbit came out in the you know, 1940s or 30s or something like that. And then Lord of the Rings in the 50s, as we established. So these existed for a long time. And then obviously, like, we can probably point to... A large number of things that actually before we begin to that i want to say it's interesting that when i started getting into lord of the rings like deep lore was around the same time i started getting into germanic neo-paganism and finding a lot of the things that tolkien himself i don't know what the right word for this is because borrow is not the correct word because lifted yeah like like Homage tolkien took maybe yeah he took a lot of aspects from hellenic celtic and mm-hmm and Norse mythology mixed with a lot of ideas of like actual Western European history to create his setting. And I'm not, that's not a criticism at all. It's like a, all right, here's where dwarves came from, but they were also, were not originally like when people read Norse mythology and they think of dwarves, they're thinking of Tolkien dwarves when mm-hmm. actual Norse dwarves were not like Tolkien dwarves at all. Cause Tolkien basically combined them with certain cultures to create <laughs> his creation. So, 
Also, if, if people aren't aware, the uh, the latest Green Knight movie that A24 put out with uh, the so hot and so naked Dev Patel in that movie is <laughs> is inspired by, I would say loosely, by his translation, which is considered to be the preeminent uh, translation of that poem and updated for, quote unquote, uh, a modern contemporary English audience. Um, and Beowulf is the same thing. His translation of Beowulf is considered to be one of the preeminent sources. I totally believe that. I will say sidebar that the only reason I want to see Green Knight is Dev Patel. I like that actor a lot. So <laughs> it's so good. It's my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> I see Green Knight. I'm like, that looks weird and Arthurian. I can dig that. I've been told by at least three different sources as the kind of movie that's best enjoyed in a heightened state. So we'll see <laughs> I whatever the, I see. I saw it at the drive-in. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. So, so Tolkien himself wasn't pulling from nothing. That's like he was pulling from mythology, he was pulling mm-hmm. from history. But what he, what's interesting about what he did, from my understanding, and actually you can either back me up or shoot me down here, okay. was that he took a lot of disparate elements from different cultures and different stories and put them together in what was at that point kind of a revolutionarily cohesive way. I think that's I think that's incredibly accurate. Um, and I think that that is something he basically borrowed from the best and then remixed it in a way that was inventive and different and became a genre on unto itself. I would I would uh, hazard that Frank Herbert did the same thing with Dune. Um, Dune obviously borrowing a lot more and, and perhaps a little more problematically because of the cross-cultural lines, but borrowing a lot more from like Eastern traditions um, and then in the sci-fi genre versus fantasy. But well, Tolkien. Dune was also a lot more specifically aiming at colonialism and some yeah. specific like criticisms, whereas I feel like Tolkien, while there is many, many critics and, and art appreciators who pointed out the various undertones in Tolkien's work, I feel like a lot of them were more consequential of Tolkien's mm-hmm. life and not necessarily intentional. I would agree with that because when you consider that he is a veteran of the First World War, he basically after that never left England and he taught, you know, classic and uh, and linguistics. I think that it's not it's not that it's not interested in taking apart power structures in the way that Dune is. But I think it's just more interesting in examining them from a traditional cultural standpoint, which is just so English. Right. Like like as as a North American person. Um, you know, you think of the English as being like just in love with being English. Like there's a, <laughs> the sh- uh, Mycroft Holmes is always like, but what greater honor is there than being an Englishman? How could you let down queen and country by not standing up to English? And, and, and there's a lot of that that runs a current through Lord of the Rings, which is why like you can out of both sides of your mouth, depending on the tack that you want to take. Um, you can see a lot of, um, you know, they go to the, they literally like go off to the new world like heading west is the great beyond like there's that metaphor which also runs through things like game of thrones but then there's also like gondor is a fallen kingdom and we will rebuild it god damn it (laughs) it's also funny because it feels like tolkien chose very specific english mannerisms and cultural touchstones to put in his what is his uh, almost his subversively chosen protagonist race of the hobbits themselves? Like, I think it's easy to argue, well, wouldn't it be the humans that are probably most like, uh, yeah, but really the humans in Tolkien's setting are kind of like general Western Europe. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of French in Spain in there mm-hmm. and there and a lot of their like details, but the hobbits are very kind of definitively small village England. <laughs> Yeah, they they I feel like they're his his reflections on or his reminiscences of what it was like to be raised in the country before he became an orphan and then was raised in London. And that was sort of less good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's that pastoral longing, which also, again, with like the trauma of having been in the First World War and, uh, you know, having no adequate treatment for that at the time, just by like a circumstance of when that happened to be in human history. I think that the. The Hobbits specifically call back to that sort of longing. And I also think that he was a Hobbit in the way that I think I think Peter Jackson is also a Hobbit. (laughs) And I've met the man for 17 minutes, so I feel confident in my statement. Uh, And I think that's why he gets Lord of the Rings and and the hero's journey of Frodo and Sam specifically in in a way that I think um, a lot of modern filmmakers wouldn't have grasped. But that's a different conversation. (laughs) 
No, we I could think... probably have an entire other recording about Peter Jackson's particular interpretation. I'll be back <laughs> for it. <laughs> no, I think anyone that's like thought, you know, if you are over a certain age, you start eyeing the Hobbit going, no, no, that that's the life I want to live. That seems like in peacetime. Yeah, no, I'll take that. Well, that's kind of funny because I think that's exactly what you're t- when you're when you're young, at least I think from a admittedly limited perspective of being, you know, who I am. But uh, young people like me, I think, will look at will look at a a story like Lord of the Rings and be like, oh, I want to be the, the crazy the the great adventure. knight or the immortal elf or something. But it feels like the older I get, it seems a lot more obvious that the book is built or the series, the the story is built to be like, hey, these people who focus on just living happy, comfortable lives with their friends and their neighbors and have good food and smoke and just read good stories, like they're the ones you really should be envying. <laughs> well, yeah, Bilbo has adventure. And he's like, oh, that was nice, but I'm going to retire now. And then Frodo, who had his adventure, comes back with PTSD. Hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> and and never love, gets over it. <laughs> I love that Tolkien famously did not believe in metaphor. And it's like, are you sure? Because, uh, there, you, you, okay, I guess what you're doing in that book isn't so much metaphor, but... As it, as it is processing. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's, that's what I mean, that I, I never felt like he was purposefully putting in these, these thematic parallels to stuff that was happening in the real world but i felt like also at the same time he was a person who lived in the real world through one of the most intense points in history it found its way into his work <laughs> yeah uh cough cough the dead marshes cough lol <laughs> yeah. but i think we've praised him enough we can kind of dig into the meat all right let's uh, each let's each and this time i want to start with ashley okay what was one of the the either the first or the biggest Things that you interacted with that you realized were heavily uh, affected by the Tolkien effect or particular to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, Harry Potter is the most obvious and the laziest example, um, even though they are very different. And uh, as a circumstance of the type of person that the author of Harry Potter has revealed herself to be, I just Uh, like it less and less as time goes by. Yeah, Um, yeah. I find it's okay. You're you're in good company. Yeah, with that. <laughs> I just find little redeeming qualities because like she's a modern woman. Like I can forgive the fact that there's like kind of no women in the world of Lord of the Rings because of the time when it was created. And there's like a couple like A for efforts in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like uh, uh, Harry Potter, for example, literally has characters and archetypes that are stolen um, from Lord of the Rings, and uh, sometimes their names are only changed by one letter. Burfunzies, can you give us some specifics? Uh, so Aragorn, Aragog. Mm, okay. Uh, that's the that's the first one that always comes to mind. Um, Dumbledore is obviously a Gandalf type, but you can you can spit back in my face that like Gandalf is a Merlin archetype. So, um, well, I mean, you could like, argue that like, both of them are Merlin archetypes, but that's I think that's guilty yeah, at that point. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> or or there or it's a wizard mentor to a small person with dark hair, like it is literally Gandalf and Frodo. Also, because Tolkien was pulling from ancient languages that weren't spoken, if you don't know that Hobbit is a riff on the old English Saxon word for rabbit. It's just kind of a fun word to say. Huh. That but suddenly it puts their architecture in stark relief. Yeah, right. They're those, those big feet and they're quiet and they're good at stealing things. And they have um, big feet. <laughs> but but uh, so I grew up Anglophone and Francophone. My mom's family's French, so I've spoken French my entire life. Um, and uh, um, Rowling lifts from modern languages that are still spoken. So like uh, Malfoy or Malfoy literally means do bad. She no, does use a lot. Now that I think about it, she did use a lot of French. In, uh, uh, and and that's fine. But it's to me, it's it's less interesting and it is less well done than what something like Lord of the Rings does. But I mean, they're both heroes, journeys. They both have young male Christ figures, um, even even though unlike fellow Inkling C.S. Lewis, Tolkien explicitly said that this was not um, a Christ metaphor. Like it's there. Quick, it's, quick it's side note before we get off. I just learned two days ago that Voldemort apparently in French can be loosely translated to flying death. A thief of well, or or so vol can either be the verb voler to fly or or voler to steal. So it can also be thief of dead bodies. Point is, from what I've read, his name makes way more sense in French than it does in English, where it doesn't yeah, mean anything. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I also read the Harry Potter books. I read them in English and French, and they're they're a lot less fun in French. I have to say, um, they do change some of the names. 
but uh, uh, not as much. So Harry Potter was probably, so like long answer long, the first thing where I noticed that Lord of the Rings was such a heavy influence, but because I went so deep and so hard on it, you were like, oh, wow, like it's literally, it's literally everything else. Because I made the logical jump from Lord of the Rings to the, is it Drizzt Dorden from the yep. Forgotten Realms? Drizzt, the, the most well-known yeah. NPC character in the D&D <laughs> setting, yes. Yeah, I had all 36 Aria Salvatore books at one point, and that's just a, you know, a riff with a couple extra races and some swears in it, basically. By, by the way, yeah. I'm not we're not going to go to Drizzt because that could be a whole other thing, but for the uninitiated, Drizzt is a, essentially a dark elf that has a pet panther and goes around doing awesome things. There you go. Yeah, yeah they're great. <laughs> really not a bad description actually (laughs) i do think it's funny so with harry potter right because harry potter is again despite all the other uh negative things that we're gonna leave in a corner for now um (laughs) harry potter's the reason why i like reading like i got in harry potter when i was 10 i want to say and i didn't like i was always good at reading i always read several levels above my 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 grade but i didn't enjoy it until harry potter so even though i have all these problematic feelings they hold a special place for me i will always thank them for getting me into reading but the connection i always made was to x-men oddly enough that harry potter is basically an x-men riff so i mean lord of the rings one because it's fantasy genre makes sense but it's it's like i said it's the it's the easy it's the really like lazy answer i just wanted wanted to explore it for just a second there i I mean you mentioned c.s lewis which i think is a particularly interesting one because uh narnia again for anyone who somehow doesn't know that C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were very close friends, and they actually um, they would talk very often with each other about what they were writing. They actually didn't they create a group called like the Inklings or something? Yeah, yes, and they met at uh, the Eagle and Child, which is still a pub in Oxford. And if you go inside, they got little pictures of them on the wall, which is really cute. So yeah, they were in the same writers group, um, and they taught together for a long time. So they were buds. But uh, um, if people also don't know about Narnia, Narnia is just straight up like a uh, biblical metaphor. And then once you know that, it's very obvious. And then in yeah. the final battle, it, the pre-girl case, doesn't oh get to go to heaven. <laughs> wait, wait. She does. Hold on. What? <laughs> so, so Susan, who's the older, prettier sister, mm-hmm. um, she's the only one when at the end of the final book, the final battle, right? They all go back to England. They get hit by a train and die. She's oh. the only one who doesn't go to heaven. Uh, which canonically, sort of by modern readers' standards, people are like, oh, 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 so she was a slut. And I want to say it's Neil Gaiman, but it might be someone else. There is um, a short story that's kind of like, yeah, Susan was a slut, and like this is why she didn't go to heaven at the end of Narnia. Oh, you got to just, there's so many things I want to touch on there. One, Neil Gaiman is like my favorite author, so I'd be interested in seeing what he has to do with that. Uh, Two, I never read past Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which I really liked, but for some reason... Yeah, that's a good place to stop, honestly. Like, get Prince Caspian in there and then leave. <laughs> yeah, no, I went back and I reread them semi-recently because I'm like, oh, these would be great to read to my daughter. I loved them so much when I was, you know, growing up. And reading them, I'm going, oh, no, I'm not reading these to you. Not, no, no, there are better, yeah. there, there's better ones. This is and, just and like Ashley, you to it in a contemporary standard. Yes, and like Ashley said, while you can make biblical kind of references in Lord of the Rings, of very obvious things we like, you know, Jesus parallel with Gandalf mm-hmm. and stuff like that that that's all again probably more consequential than intentional but narnia no it's it's intentional <laughs> narnia is kind of a stern lecture on yeah. christianity <laughs> where lord of the rings kind of gestures at like listen religions kind of follow a template i uh one of the first plays i did when i uh, graduated from the school in la was chronicles of narnia and you better believe i played edmund they said you kind of look like a boy and i said that's fine (laughs) yeah thinking about it i one thing i think even young i realized that narnia had a not necessarily healthy relationship with its female characters in general Mm -hmm. so which really bugs me in hindsight i made made it all the way up to the last battle going well that's a bit of a bummer i don't like how that ended (laughs) didn't think about it for a long time then came back and read it as an adult went oh no fuck you get out of here there's better yeah Good world, though. Good world. Oh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> but just I'm not reading that to my daughter. <laughs> no, I think that's more than fair. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ulrich, what's what's a big one for you or an early one for you? Uh, a big one. I'll I'll cut right to the bone on this one. Uh, I loved dwarves. Dwarves are always my go to fantasy race. Mm. And I was in high school and I had a friend like she would write and doodle Elvish in her notebook. 
during class. And she's like, oh, like North Northern's like, yeah, it's like, oh, you know, they're based on, you know, Jewish. And like, what do you mean? Well, the language, you know, is Hebrew. And, you know, they're and she started listening like, oh, oh, no, the Jews <laughs> are kind of an ugly stereotype that have only been made worse through, you know, contemporary fantasy. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. And she's like, it's OK. He was a white dude in the 1900s. He's going to be a little racist. Well, yeah. it's also funny because most contemporary people are going to see the dwarves as Scottish before they see him as Jewish. Which doesn't make it better. They're greedy, miserly <laughs> people. Have you heard of the Ferengi? Yes. <laughs> okay, but the Ferengi get in a lot of ways. Deep Space Nine goes a long way towards. Anyway, I, I, I I absolutely agree, but that was not how they started. <laughs> I I totally agree with you. I just have a lot. Deep Space Nine is like my my second favorite television show ever, and I have a lot it's, of feelings it's about. My, it's my favorite. Nog is like an iconic character. Great arc. Give me Captain Nog in the animated series. Like yes, yeah. absolutely. We are on the same page. Sorry. <laughs> Nog explaining to Cisco why he wants to be part of Starfleet is one yes. of my top five favorite Star Trek scenes ever. Anyway. <laughs> but see, they they grew past that. Dwarves have only become further entrenched in this, you know, thing. And I can't look at any fantasy dwarf and go, yeah, no, I know, I know that you are just kind of a racist caricature. And any attempt to get you out of that is meant with, that's not how dwarves are. According okay, to well, who? Hold on, to, to be fair, to be fair... Um, I was recently reading an article, actually, and it, again, it's just, it's not, no expert or something, but it was talking about if the goblins in the Harry Potter setting are a racist mm. caricature of Jewish people, because some people have pointed that out. And the, I guess the, some national institute of Jewish relations or something like that took it, like, seriously and, like, looked into it. And I'm not saying this is – I'm not doing an authority fallacy. I'm not saying that their conclusion is, like, the conclusion or something. But I think it's interesting because what they basically said was, okay, maybe the goblins, as Tolkien wrote them – or, not sorry, not Tolkien, as, as Rowling wrote them, started in a place like that. But now, through time and cultural osmosis, your audience isn't – thinking Jewish person, they're thinking that the characteristics displayed by the goblins in that setting are indicative of what are goblins. And it becomes this kind of thing where a a mythical creature or mythical race, even if it might have started from a place of, to go really extreme, racist caricature, Mm -hmm. if, if it gets ingrained enough into your society, it doesn't serve the effect that you're trying to avoid with that terminology which is to dehumanize people instead your populace creates their own idea of what that fictional race is separate from whatever the original caricature is in this case goblins and in your case dwarves i find it highly unlikely that while you could probably point to maybe this is where dwarves started they are so prevalent in the fantasy genre in fact, even in general genre fiction at this point, mm-hmm. that that people instead as a whole have an idea of what it means to be a dwarf and would never make a connection to to Jewish people. Again, the closest you're going to get is that most people use a Scottish accent, but I don't think even then they're not associating that with Scottish stereotypes. Oh, they 100% are. I mean, I don't want to get too far down this one, but if you ask people what's a dwarf, they do a Scottish accent – they are short-tempered. They like to drink. They like to fight. These are not endearing qualities. And yeah, but, but a I, Scottish accent is like, it's the best accent in the whole world. So at least yeah, I have I'm not, that. I'm not going to argue right there. I'm not <laughs> arguing right. against. My next D&D character has a Scottish accent for a reason. So. Nice. <laughs> but, but okay. This, this I will is kind accept. of the problem with the Tolkien effect is that Tolkien defined this is what dwarves are. And everyone kind of went with it. And now you can't really get past the fact that dwarves are short, bearded guys typically depicted with large noses. All right, but do you, do you get what I'm what I'm trying to put down? I get what you're down? saying. I don't want. I'm I'm trying to avoid that because I'm not qualified to talk about that. But I am saying though is like the heart of the whole problem is yeah, you can get away with it, but when you start putting caricatures up, it you you don't have to squint to see it. Is what I'm saying. Like if I quickly draw a dwarf or I quickly draw a goblin, I'm not squinting to see 
where this could go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And given what I recently discovered, white supremacists are very much attached to Lord of the Rings. Like this is mm-hmm. what they, That's I did gross. not realize that, but the, I read it was Lord of the Rings video. And one of the comments was Tolkien needs to be preserved because it's the last bastion of Western mythos. Yeah, uh, because we're, oh, we're only well, as a, I guess, as a, as, as white peoples, we're only now starting to examine things like, and this is going really deep on sort of the heart of the conversation that we're having, that like because Tolkien, because there's there's just creative things that come along and become bastions of their genre, right? Like Battlestar Galactica changed science fiction forever, the, the reboot. And before that, it was uh, both Star Treks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and Dune. And, and because Lord of the Rings was such a bastion of modern myth for so long based on you know, uh, ethno-European power structures, like, even with, like, Gondor is, like, explicitly based on the Ottoman Empire, like I mentioned earlier, like, that's about as diverse as our leads get in terms of the Tolkien verse. Like, there's no queens. Uh, there's, like, a lady here or there. There's there's nothing like um, a Socratic circle or a talking circle. There's no, uh, like, medicine people as healers. Like, yeah, Radagast, maybe, kind of, sometimes. But, again, sort of more through the idea of Scottish witchcraft or island witchcraft in, in the English Isles than anything else. Um, and I can't remember where I was. Things, the better. Right. Yeah, I can't remember where I was going with this, but uh, oh, yes. So it's it's unsurprising to me that that white supremacist would look at Lord of the Rings as something of import. But also but also it it does it does do effectively some of the things that they like about it and contemporary more more forward thinking people criticize about it. And it can unfortunately it can be both. (laughs) That's kind of a bummer. I mean, we're, we're already addressing the elephant in the room, but to put it in even more blunt terms, mm-hmm. the, Tolkien existed at a time where he fought in the Great War. He fought yep. in a a Western, a primarily Western European war. It was it was a, it was a world war. You read history; it happened in a lot of other places, but generally speaking, in Western society, we think of it as a Europe war for yep. a lot of reasons. Tolkien's circle of his social circle the people he interacted with people he saw in his life were primarily white men and he filled his story with white men and the only instance we get of say darker colored people are orcs it it's not hard at this point to be like the one of the if there's a negative a really negative aspect of the tolkien effect it's that fantasy following it followed among all the other things that followed, it followed this particularly. And only recently have we started seeing, like, in my opinion, anyway, like fantasy really bucked that by having even the simplest things like black elves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's met with an immediate fight. And that's kind of the problem is people go, but that's not fantasy. Fantasy is this way it was always been in Tolkien. And it's like that that's kind of the problem. We should be able to move around. We should be able to do fantasy in different time periods than just the Middle Ages. I, I would also want to argue that Tolkien in spirit, because you also have to, like we keep saying, like meet him as a man of his time, right? Like someone born mm-hmm. uh, uh, now two centuries ago. Um, but Tolkien was an incredibly intelligent, like man of letters and learning. And he was a professor and he was an academic. And and I I think he would more welcome the discourse in the spirit of being J.R.R. Tolkien and engaging with your favorite things on an incredibly deep level of fandom that never leaves you for your entire life. <laughs> I think he would be more interested in us having a discourse through a contemporary lens than holding it up like like a you can't burn this book. Oh, 100 percent. I, yeah, I, I don't think he would be like, no, no, I wrote the elves this way. This have to be. I think he'd be like, I'd never considered that. And then sit or, down or and cool. Go, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's funny. What's funny is that from what I've read, if there is an, an aspect that he would be like that, it would be in pronunciations of certain things. And as I mean, we established he, he earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because like I'm with you, Ashley, that it's smog. But yeah. when you read the actual letters, he did want to pronounce smog. And he can be wrong. So. <laughs> it's okay. I say I also say Razal Ghoul, so <laughs> All right, that one I'll fight you on. Oh, but no. uh, <laughs> I I know it's wrong, but that was the first way I ever heard it. So my um, brain is not letting go of it. <laughs> I'm with you in that camp and everyone goes, That's not how it's pronounced. Like, what do you mean? That's how it was in the animated series. What are you on about? Except even yeah. in the animated series, they pointed out that it's Raish. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I remember it. So anyway. Well it's funny because this kind of leads to for me, for instance, one of the 
one of the big ones, not one of the first ones, because I think one of the first ones would probably be Elder Scrolls when I really thought about it. But oh, I'm, yeah, less, yeah. I, I'm less interested in that than I am in one of the big ones for me when I noticed it in a slightly different way from what we're talking about was when I was in, I want to say my third year of college, I got Dragon Age Origins. I just, it was on sale. And I had watched uh, Yahtzee uh, from The Escapist did a review of it where he made a comment about how people called it dark fantasy, but he's like, this isn't dark fantasy. It's not any other shade of fantasy. It's just straight Tolkien fantasy. We're all children playing in the proverbial yard while Grandpa Tolkien you know, sits on the bench <laughs> watching us. And, I, and, that, and that just stuck out in my brain when I played Dragon Age. And first of all, he wasn't wrong at all. Dragon Age's origins is in some ways kind of a perfect video game form distillation of Dungeons & Dragons the specific version of which is basically straight Lord of the Rings. But it does do some interesting things that made it stand out and buck the trend. As a very blatant example, one of your main missions involves dealing with the elves who are, instead of being the, like, immortal, wonderful, beautiful kind of entities that are basically pseudo-angels that they are in Lord Mm -hmm. of the Rings, they're refugees, slaves, and, like, Barely Native Americans, essentially, is what Dragon Age paints them as. And the leader of the group you go to is a black guy voiced by Tuvok from Star Trek Voyager. (laughs) Tim Russ! I love him. Yeah. And it's just like little things like that where Dragon Age felt like, all right, we're basically going to play completely in the Lord of the Rings uh, sandbox, but we're going to... We're going to tweak a lot of things you're used to. Like, this is how you, we know this is how you think of elves, so we're going to treat them like this instead. On the other hand, dwarves, they just took dwarves and turned them to an extreme. Like, okay, we're not going to twist anything about dwarves, but we're going to make a version of dwarves that have been fighting a war of attrition with essentially orcs underground for eons and are now, like, super ultra-conservative, anti-other other kind of race that's just imported in their own stuff. And so, in... That all was super interesting for me to parse through and felt like I'm not saying like Dragon Age is to the same level as Tolkien's writing. I'm not going to be that like <laughs> that arrogant or something like that. No, it more but, represents like a slow coaching away from like, OK, you can you can keep your elves and dwarves. But how about we try something new? And you're kind of seeing yeah. the Witcher is a good example of that. Like, all right, we're going to keep your basic stuff, but I'm going to sprinkle in a little bit that's not Western Europe. We're going to try a little bit of Slavicness in it. How you yeah, like that? Yeah, do you? like Peroshkis, you might also like dudes with skulls on their heads it's just a little <laughs> bit like we're gonna okay okay you get to keep the basics but we're do, it's a slow boil away like okay we're just going to take it back a little bit till eventually we can do something it call it fantasy and not have it have all these markers maybe we can get away from a castle so I I am a absolute dog shit at all console games. So have never played The Witcher. Uh, Journey's the only video game I've ever beaten because you just got to walk. And uh, I started reading The Witcher books because someone was Ooh, basically good. like, it's Slavic mythology. And I was like, oh, you got me with this pagan shit. Okay, great. <laughs> I can't wait. One of the best memes I saw at Christmas was. Um, it was like, please don't come to Christmas with all your pagan shit. And then it was a picture <laughs> of uh, Freya with the chariot pulled by cats. And it was like me yes. pulling up with all my pagan shit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Not even going to touch on, you can't have Christmas without pagan shit. None of that's a real no, 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 no. You just put your nice gnomes out and say, this is nice. <laughs> well, well I, will say, <laughs> I will tell you, I played Dragon Age Origins on PC. And if you're the huge Lord of the Rings fan you are, I'd, I'd recommend giving it a shot for the exact reasons I've laid forward just now. So, Ooh, but, if I can do it on PC, I might actually not die all the time. It has difficulty settings and you can pause it in mid-combat. Go for it. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now, I, now I have a new obsession. Yeah. Anyway, but so to give another example real quick that I think is interesting where the Tolkien effect is almost reversed. Even though the movie failed and we all basically almost everyone agrees it was a bad movie, but a good concept was the entire reason why the movie bright was interesting Mm. to anybody in the first place was because it presented itself as taking almost directly the, the specific setting of middle earth and being like in modern day. It's not just, modern fantasy because there's a lot of examples of modern fantasy bright positioned itself or at least it it tried to promote itself advertise itself as directly lord of the rings but modern yeah i was gonna do a little bit of urban fantasy with a sprinkling of lord of the rings mythos in there 
it's funny that urban fantasy never seems to be able to make that. Like when I think of, of urban fantasy, the Dresden files is always the first thing that jumps to mind. Like it's a little harder to uh, weave in a bunch of elves singing a lay as they mourn the passing of someone walking through the forest. I have been told that Grimm does a decent job of it, but I haven't seen it, so I can't say. Grimm is good until it just absolutely implodes into the worst thing you've ever seen, and you regret every season you've watched. L-O-L, that sounds like so many things I've watched. (laughs) That's my feelings on Supernatural, so... (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's like, it's good, it's good, oh god, what did you do, what have I done with my life? This, anyway. It's almost anything that goes longer than five seasons, right? Sure, yeah. five, five is pretty much the golden. If Breaking Bad did five, anyone else should just do five. <laughs> so. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, my, my point of bringing up Bright is that, again, like even though it failed mostly for cinema reasons, not for like adaptation or even Tolkien effect reasons, the fact that what they were trying to do was, was both twist Tolkien's work, but also stay kind of slavishly true to it is is why that story was at least set up the way it is. And that's what you see a lot is that because Tolkien is so like with other genres, I feel like there are usually a number of things that you can point to. Like let's take sci-fi sci-fi and fantasy are in a lot of cases pitted against each other for Mm -hmm. some reason when they really shouldn't be, because there's a lot of overlap, but what, (laughs) but but with sci-fi, you can usually point to like four or five authors, you know, your, your Asimov, your Clarks, your, your stuff Mm -hmm. like that that are kind of the foundation. You want to go back even farther. And of course, Mary Shelley pretty much invented the, the genre with, but that's a whole nother conversation that Love it was a sci-fi. drunk anyway. 18 year old girl. That doesn't make me feel untalented in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> but point is that like, even though Frankenstein, the modern day Promethean was really a lot of people agree the birthplace of sci-fi. No one, it's not like as super predominant as the basis of sci-fi. You'll see things like, dune and trek and space operas like chronicles of lensman one of my personal favorite ur texts uh and all these things but in fantasy it's almost entirely like 99 percent comes back to to tolkien and that's what makes it unique in this aspect well that's how we get the tolkien effect one guy broke brig and everyone kind of copied him and it gets kind of worse when D just copied him and then D became the big thing you know, I almost feel like, and maybe I'm on to nothing here, but the fact that a lot of those sci-fi authors I meant cut their teeth doing short stories, and so the a lot of what is the foundation of modern sci-fi were many different unrelated stories that had similar aesthetic uh, similar aspects. But Lord of the Rings is one huge story. Yeah. So I so. You see where I'm trying to like, I don't know if that has something to do with it, but I think that might. I, I think it does. The other thing is a lot of original sci-fi was pulp. So yes, yeah. it didn't have this grandiose where Tolkien not only, you know, set up his epic, then he sat down and created a language and a history and everything else. And like, listen, you may not think elves are serious, but this guy wrote a thesis on the history of the elves. So you kind of have to respect the effort. People don't think elves are serious. I'm like, I'm ready to fight some about Elrond right now. <laughs> David like, Bowie or so I'm not asking for like a, <laughs> uh, a like a thesis necessarily, but like Ashley, what do you think? Like, what are what do you think are some of the main reasons why the Tolkien effect exists and why it's so predominant compared to how other genres or texts are treated? So the the fangirl in me wants to say because it's best one in the same way that um, all playwriting in English can sort of trace back to William Shakespeare, and we've never had anybody as good since then and and they are an infallible creator Sidebar, shakespeare's a super apt comparison considering shakespeare is also pulling largely from greek mm-hmm. uh, anyway point is i just i never thought about comparing shakespeare to tolkien but they're actually very similar in how their creative works were anyway continue jason and i frequently fight about whether or not shakespeare is the greatest writer in the english language so it's the one that pops the mind <laughs> <laughs> uh, and maybe before that i guess in terms of the epic it, you'd give it to probably homer uh, at least from a contemporary standpoint um I think the reason I don't know the reason why it happened immediately, but I think the reason why speaking as somebody alive now doing this podcast is because of the level of research and dedication that went into it, but also because people must have 
needed it in this very strange way. And I think Harry Potter is is another great example of like all of us needing it. And I'm not quite sure because fantasy tends to really pop after um, a, a conflict, a sizable conflict. And, and I'm not quite sure if we have just been fortunate enough or if we don't gaze back long enough in our history. Like Tolkien is modern, yeah. you know, um, yeah. And that might just speak to the accessibility of it. But also, by that same token, every everything else might be too modern. Like, I, we have too much content now. Is it even possible to make anything of that import? You know, when there was only – I'm just going to make up numbers because I have no idea how many books are published in a year, right? If there was only 50,000 books published in a year and now there's a million books published every year um, – it's just going to be harder for something to pop. But like, I don't, I don't have a good answer, unfortunately. And like I said, besides just being like, cause it's, it's fully just better than everything else. <laughs> it is funny though. Cause there are a few things I think you, you latched on there. Like let's use a very specific, I want to use a very specific example. Game of Thrones mm-hmm. dominated culture for what? Five, six solid years longer mm-hmm. than that even. And then completely went away. And we can have one. I'm just saying, like, based on how well, are, are you are you talking about the import of the book as well? Like, or this just what, the TV show started? I'm, just, I'm talking about Game of Thrones, not Song of Fire and Ice. Song of Fire and Ice had a big splash oh, okay. in literary okay. circles, certainly. Like, and fantasy readers were were big and like, hey, this thing is, you know, new and interesting. I'm saying I think it's interesting that from a wider pop culture perspective, Game of Thrones hit. It completely took over pop culture, like to a ludicrous degree for a while, and then basically kind of went away entirely, like because of we could talk all day about the writing in the last seasons or whatever. But I think that that's kind of indicative of the same kind of thing and that Lord of the Rings ended well. I know this is a small, Mm -hmm. like maybe that doesn't seem like an important thing, but I think it is super important when you have a piece of work like that that gives it real staying power. Interesting. I mean, stick and landing does help because that's what people remember when they walk away. I think Lord of the Rings, like the big selling point or reason it hit and continues to hit is it feels like, quote unquote, serious fantasy. Like when you're reading it, it feels grandiose and epic and bombastic in all the right ways. And because it has this huge world and backlog to it that you can kind of then branch on. I think maybe that carries it over is you can put down the trilogy and go, okay, and now here's the appendices. But it's also not interested in like fucking reinventing or commenting on the structure in the way that Game of Thrones, not to the same degree, but kind of in the same way as Watchmen is, is as much interested as playing in the structure as offering commentary on it as, as exampled by like, well, Bran is the first POV chapter. So Perhaps we were being told that Bran was an incredibly important character, but Bran is, you know, I guess I'm going to spoil all the Game of Thrones for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe not who everyone thought was going to be in that position at the end. Um, and it subverts expectation in the way that, like, you know Frodo's going to destroy the ring, and he yeah. does, and we love him for it. And that's why he is our Jesus figure. <laughs> it's true. There is a, there's a, also a basic thing in, I think, in fiction in general. Like, I remember thinking about this, oddly enough, with Star Trek a long time mm-hmm. ago, where uh, the idea came up. I was watching that 70s show, and there's mm-hmm. an episode where they're going to record uh, Perry Mason, who, for any of the audience, probably doesn't know what Perry Mason is. Perry Mason <laughs> was a... Of our audience. It's a great yeah. remake. Matthew Reese is super hot in it. Point is, it's a lawyer show. It's a courtroom <laughs> procedural, essentially. Basically, well before your CSIs and your Law and Orders... Uh, the American audience said Perry Mason. And there's a line in it where where Kitty or someone says something like, you know, I want to know what happens. And someone else goes, well, Perry Mason wins. And the response is, it's not if he wins, it's how he wins. Mm. And, that, and that thought hit me when I was thinking about Star Trek, because I love Star Trek. But in any given Star Trek episode, at least in the, you know, from Next Generation through Enterprise, it was never, is the ship going to be okay? Those kind of stakes don't, don't exist really it's how are they going to be okay how are they going to get through the situation mm. and lord of the rings has that same kind of thing we're like okay i may pick this up and know pretty instantly that good is going to win in the end and you know the, the hobbits are going to return everything's going to be okay that is not the stake that is i'm invested for it's <laughs> to be cliche it's the journey not the destination <laughs> hey, an unexpected journey 
Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up, unless anyone has any grand revelations they've come to in the last hour or so. <laughs> uh, you should read Lord of the Rings, and you should bring me back, and then you should tell me about why it was horrible. I just want to talk to you guys about all the trees. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I have another Lord of the Rings episode in mind for whenever you want to come back, which basically will just let you gush about the movies for however long. Fantastic. You know what? We got two anniversaries coming up, so... <laughs> probably before the end of the year all right and if if you're listening to this and you have any other important or if you're thinking there are any other important bits we didn't touch on like tolkien's work has impacted literally so much that we would probably need several more episodes to really yeah, talk I, about as we're doing this we're like this is a podcast in and of itself yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I literally have like three or four more things that I wanted to say that were going to be like 10 minute conversations, but I'm just holding off on them. <laughs> so just tell us what they are and we'll write them down. Maybe we'll talk about them another time. But since that brings us to uh, uh, the, the kind of end, it's at this point that we hand over the special soapbox that we have for our guests so that actually you may stand up and you may plug anything you want to plug as thanks for talking with us. Ooh, I am quite short, so a soapbox or an apple box is always greatly appreciated. Um, first, thank you so much for having me on to just like scream about how much I like Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. This uh, has been a real treat for me. My one of my favorite podcasts spends an hour going through each page of Lord of the Rings, and I got to just <laughs> like have a touch of that glory with you guys today. So Ooh. first, thank you very very much. Um, if anybody liked or if you really if you want to like hate follow me, that's cool, too. Uh, <laughs> a, a bitch will take a follow either way. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And boy, am I bad at TikTok uh, at Ashley V. Robinson. The V is very important. Come over and send me cute pictures of Billy Boyd. He was my high school crush and I had pictures of him in my locker. You can also <laughs> if you're subscribing to podcasts, if you like geeky podcasts, find my podcast, Geek History Lesson, where all fine podcasts are had at the week that we're recording this, which I don't know if you guys bank episodes, so might give this away. <laughs> Our 400th episode just came up. So there's a lot of free content for you. And then. Really quick, in March, I'm going to be running a Kickstarter for what will hopefully be my third award-losing series, um, Aurora and the Eagle, which was a comic project I did a few years ago. Now uh, I have an issue that's twice as long. It's coming into print, and it is a superhero allegory for me immigrating to the States and uh, dueling with those identity problems i suppose so follow me or come over to kickstarter and search aurora and the eagle those are my original superheroes coming to kickstarter in march it's my birthday month give me a gift support my comic god damn it having read aurora and the eagle i loved that comic i'm so excited we're getting a follow-up yes oh i'll send you the new one was uh, I, 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 I don't i don't keep track of like award stuff but was was red shirt diaries one of the things you're talking about uh, no, I don't think Richard Diaries was ever nominated for an award. Well, that's a crime. So, <laughs> <laughs> for, well, especially because, sorry, as a complete side note to our conversation, I started watching Star Trek Lower Decks and my brain instantly went to, this feels like what I saw with Richard Diaries. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, I'm friends with Mike McMahon, so I'm trying really hard to get an Ensign Williams, just one little baby voice, Mike, you know where I live, uh, on that show. But Lower Decks, high key, uh, my favorite of the new treks. I agree with you. I, uh, we need to have a Star Trek conversation one of these days. I'm, well. com keep, keep I'm coming back it. for like four episodes. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all my plugs. I'm sorry. I didn't end it nicely. That's fine. So uh, now, um, at this point, so that we have the plug, we do a thing called Suggestions of the Week, where we just suggest something that we're into, just usually something we're into recently, to give a little basic example. I have recently caught up, finally, with Better Call Saul, for anyone who doesn't know. Better Call Saul is the spinoff show off of Breaking Bad, focused on Saul Goodman, the criminal lawyer in Breaking Bad, and... I think it is arguably better than Breaking Bad. Better Call Saul is amazing, and if you've slept on it for some reason, a lot of times spinoff shows are not that great, uh, don't sleep on this one anymore. Better Call Saul is amazing. Also, Vince Gilligan is probably the best person in the business when it comes to dealing with silence. So, mm, Very true. I haven't watched either Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, so 
I have no commentary here. Oh, the whole internet's going to come for you for admitting that. I know. I'm banking. It's one of those shows that's on Netflix. Like, one of these days when I have nothing else to watch and I really need a good binge, then I'll jump in. Dude, you got me watching The Mandalorian and Boba Fett right now, so you should watch Breaking Bad. No, you got yourself. Do not know. You got that. Do not pin your hate watch on me. (laughs) Anyway, what's your suggestion, Ulrich? Uh, I feel like I've suggested this before. I'm going to suggest it again. Uh, Final Space, which I can't believe we didn't talk about this in our adult animation segment, but I love Final Space, and I love it, and I don't know how to describe it because it's weird in a way, but basically the premise is it's based around our character Gary Goodspeed, who is serving an undisclosed crime in a spaceship, and he's kind of gone a little bit crazy and declared himself captain when he discovers the cute, adorable interdimensional creature he names mooncake and finds himself drawn in to a big multi-universe spanning plot and it's a hilarious show that kind of does the bojack horseman whiplash between laughing and crying ah i mean you caught my attention with bojack horseman so i mean i think my favorite and it's got some really good signs i think my favorite example of this is there's a point where their ship gets divided in time like half the ship gets cut off and one character is you know caught in his own separate time stream and time starts going forward and he kind of goes crazy on the other side of this you know time stream imagining his friends as time ticks on ticks on ticks on and it's really tragic and this will be cut with a joke with another character robot arm attacking him tearing off his clothes and then falling on a window another character going mmm pressed ham (laughs) all right That's a lot. <laughs> and it's just, you will get whiplash and it's like, oh, that was real heavy. And like, here's a joke. Like, okay, okay. It's really, really good, but really hard to describe. But I want more people to watch it because this one keeps just barely getting renewed. Final mm. space. Okay. All right, Ashley, what suggestion do you have for the audience? Uh, I'm going to recommend Euphoria, which I feel like is a very hipster choice, but I recently thought I would be watching all of season two and then apparently I caught up. And so now I have to wait and I'm really angry about it. Um, Euphoria is a two fours, a sexy version of high school. And Oh, that's right. Sorry. I was reading an article about, <laughs> about how people dress in shows. They talk about euphoria. Continue. Yeah. There's, there's literally a, the, one of the TikTok jokes that I do understand is uh, when you remember that you go to Euphoria High, so you're supposed to come in with, like, dumpy clothes and you come out with, like, your slutty clothes on. Um, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, it's this it, incredibly attractive cast, all of whom uh, you would very much like to see in their slutty clothes. But what's really brilliant about Euphoria, and I evoked A24 earlier when I spoke about The Green Knight, so I shouldn't be surprised, but they do a really great job at focusing on the trauma surrounding leaving your adolescence And what it is in that last little bit before you become an adult and how sacred that moment in time is. Sidebar for anyone who doesn't know, A24 is also the company behind Uncut Gems, Midsummer, and Moonlight, to give us examples. Yeah, they are the only production company besides Monkey Paw that automatically has my money. I don't even need to know what their project is. And it's been really cool to discover that they're actually making exciting television as well. And I have a friend who works on it and I'm so jealous. So euphoria, if you have the HBO max and you like nudity, you're going to love it. (laughs) I mean, if you have HBO max, I feel like liking nudity just kind of comes package and parcel. Yeah. But you know, I, I'm used to like game of Thrones level nudity, which is an astonishing amount of nudity. And uh, euphoria puts that to shame in the first eight minutes of the pilot. Oh, the whole series. It's, I it's mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for more stuff to put on while I do my hobby work, so... Yeah, just uh, no, no one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like our audience just left, like, wait, mass nudity and click. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Euphoria, cool. Yeah. All right, well, Ashley, thank you for coming on. You're always a great guest. Oh, thank you, and thank you for having me and saying such nice things. And again, thank you for just letting me scream and be completely unhinged. I had an amazing time. <laughs> it's okay, well, you should sure at some back. point... You can, at some point, you'll pay me back by letting me be unhinged about Star Trek. So, <laughs> you want Star Trek or you want Moon Knight? I want I Star want Trek. Knight. He wants Moon Knight. We're okay. different people on this. So, <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, that means I have two opportunities now. So, okay, I take the hint. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things that the algorithm demands of you, because if you don't, we don't exist. And if you're currently listening to this, you must be listening to it on either SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or the Fireside Alliance. You, and in whatever case it is, thank you. That's awesome. Just that you're there listening to this. You, you're awesome. And, but if there's some other platform you'd rather us be on, let us know what it is. And until then, hey, you can rate us on Spotify. Tell us if we suck. Tell us if you love us. We're not, we're pretty, we're tough. We can handle it. <laughs> As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.